really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. My name is David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. As you've surely realized by now, this is not your regular weekly episode, but is in fact yet another bonus episode. This time we've got another new guest, friend, and fellow outrider on the Jacks Rangers show, the inimitable Chris Lind. Chris, how the heck are you? I am doing well. Thanks for having me. Sound quality is excellent. Love this microphone. It's awesome. I literally ripped off my gear based on yours. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds great, man. It definitely is great on the pods as I listen. And it's just clean. When you have the when the sound is clean, show is clean, it's good stuff. Yeah, the I thought I had a good thing with the the snowball microphone for a while. And then uh, we were on a show together and I was like, damn, he sounds good. Yeah, yeah. A friend of mine, Seth, shout out Thirst for Knowledge podcast. Just look it up on Spotify. I'm pretty sure there are other places. He's a musician. And so he hooked me into these, the, oh. this uh, setup. And he was like, yeah, man, it's good. It's good times. And it's simple to set up and use. So I was like, right, yeah, let's go. compact makes a big difference. So, of course, thank you for joining us here in the Scrum of the Earth. It's weird chatting without Phil here, right? It is kind of weird, but I like it. It's liberating in a way. I Hey, I love me some free jacks. We're just a couple of days away. I mean, we can literally count in hours now. I think it's Seriously. safe. You know, you can throw the hour marker on it. So that's really cool. But it's it's good to to chat about other stuff. So I'm not talking. I love talking free jacks, but man, it's good to talk something else too. So Chris, what is your relationship with rugby? I know you've played quite a bit, but how did that start? Was it a military connection for you? No, it was actually by chance in high school. So oh. a buddy of mine, we were working with, I was working with him on like a high school project and he bailed out. And this was back in the days. If uh, people remember AOL instant messenger, I was like, yeah. Hey, uh, his name was Jeff. I was like, Hey Jeff, are we like getting together to do this project? He's like, no man, I'm actually going to rugby practice. And I was like, what the heck is rugby? I'd never heard of it before in my life. And you know, YouTube wow. was actually still pretty brand new way back, way back when. Um, and so I, but it was on it. And so I looked it up and it was just some weird video. And I think it was actually a mix of code. So it was actually showing highlights of, uh, rugby union and rugby league. Oh, and wow. I had no, I had no idea the difference at the time. And I'm like, wow, this looks pretty badass. So I was like, let's, I was like, Hey man, can I, where's rugby? And he's like, well, it's a whatever. And he gave me the details of the practice and it was for a, a club in New Hampshire. They're still around. It's called Amiskeg. And so it was a combined, um, yeah, it's like a men, they have men's, women's, and then they had a high school team and we still do up here. And now I coach that high school team, but yeah, oh. I joined up from there and then went on to play in college. I played a little men's until I got a bad shoulder injury. And uh, this was like, uh, I was 24 and I was trying to get a real job, man. And I was never, I wasn't actually a bad rugby player. I, I had made the New England college select side. Nice. Uh, as a, as a junior. So, yeah. And uh, I actually played with uh, Nate Brakely very, very briefly. Really? Yes. Marblehead yeah. zone. Yes. Yeah. Back when he was at Dartmouth. So he was, I think he was a freshman and unknowingly, I remember when we made that team, so it was the new England college all-star team. And I was coming from Plymouth state and he was a Dartmouth kid. And, um, 
I remember just talking to him because I had recognized him. I was like, Hey man, did you like play rugby before? And he played at St. John's prep as most people know. And I, so I played against him in high school as well. I just didn't know at the time. Yeah. So that was pretty wild. That's like my rugby highlight. He would not remember me at all. (laughs) Zero, zero chance. Maybe, but I doubt it. He went to Canada. We lost him anyway. So it's just fine. Well, and at the same time he became like an Eagle and I just, I mean, he's a big, he's a big human being, right? He plays lock. And I just remember like being so impressed. I was like, man, this dude, like, cause you, when you make the new England collegiate all-star team and you're playing with the best college players, I was from a D three backwater school and I lifted weights and I took myself seriously, but you know, you could tell that I was quickly becoming a fish out of water. Like I did well on that squad, but that was pretty much that and playing for mystic was probably about the highest level I took it, but I was never going to go pro or anything. So what's your favorite thing about the game? Is it, you know, the physicality, the discipline, the strategy, what is it that really, you know, ticks over for you? I think it's being able to play uh, both attack and defense or offense and defense, as we Ooh. call it. Um, I played offensive and defensive line when I played football. So and oh, wow. I actually played center. So I actually got to touch the ball. But like when you hike it and then that's it, yeah. you know, like it's kind of lame. Um, and so like I never knew that I was actually quite talented at running the ball. So like a quick rewind, when I first started playing football, I was a running back but I never got to really hit anybody. I just, I mean, you did when you run the ball, but I was like mighty might, you know, a little kid. And so they were like, I switched over our running. Um, one of our other linemen like was bad at blocking and they're like, well, who wants to block? And I was like an aggressive little young lad. And I was like, I like to block. And then and I sowed the seeds in my own despair. Cause I never, <laughs> I never, never, never touched the ball after that until playing rugby. And then when I started playing rugby, I actually realized that, I, you know, despite not being quick, uh, I'm pretty slow, even for like my, my size, I should be a lot faster. I'm not a, a quick runner uh, for like 40 times. I'm probably like a five flat guy, which is not fast, um, <laughs> you know, but anyway, I digress. I found that I could actually run the ball and that I was a p- powerful ball carrier. And, and I liked that aspect. And I like being able to again, transition, you know, attack and defense. And then I don't know something about, I I don't know the offload game. I really liked doing that, being able to flick Mm. it around while I'm getting tackled and stuff like that. But yeah, the physicality of the game and just being able to play on both sides at all times was awesome. My friend, Jan, who's in the Eagles hall of fame. She, she told me how, you know, the first time she was played with a serious group, she tackled somebody really hard and was like, Ooh, I like that. And then somebody tackled her really hard and she was like, I also want that. And then she knew now this is for me. Yeah. Yeah. That was like, uh, I had, I had one of those moments too. That's how I knew I was like, I was still a young guy and I had aspirations of playing at higher level. Uh, never pro. Cause this was like, again, this was like 2011. So even though there were still some stuff and some higher level rugby in, in the States, it was mostly all like overseas type stuff. But mm. I remember when I was with mystic, we went to go play the New York athletic club and, um, it was like, you know, Petri was there. One other guy, Frick, I forget his name. It wasn't Lou Stanfill. It was somebody else. Anyway, they were really good, man. It was a couple guys like who had scraped, who had Eagles time and like scraped the Eagles and playing the game at that speed with those guys on a different level. And I was just like, mm. holy crap, I'm getting, I'm getting annihilated out here. <laughs> and I still want more. Yeah, but yeah, but I still came back for more and they hung out with us, obviously, at the uh, the drink up at their sponsor pub afterwards. Very cool. So so you and I, of course, have spent quite some time talking MLR, mm. talking to our beloved Free Jacks. But today we have a very different aim, which is to talk about the Six Nations tournament that just finished its second round. 
Are you ready to dive into some Six Nations action? Yes, rugby's what is it like? Rugby's best championship is what they call it. They always Something say like that. that. I, I feel like New Zealand kind of looks up like what every time they say that. But you know, <laughs> only one World Cup winner ever, so yeah. you're not wrong. Uh, so as you well know, then after the second weekend, Ireland and Scotland are the unbeaten teams. England and France are both one and one, with England holding a slight edge on the table. And of course, Italy and Wales find themselves winless. Looking back at that first weekend, you know, what were your over uh, your overall impressions? Uh, disappointed in England. Uh, I didn't really think that they would drop three straight to Scotland and especially at home with fans. That was a disappointing match. Uh, I thought they had more, uh, more in them. And then they kind of looked a little bit disjointed. They, they looked to be still playing the same style that they had under Eddie Jones, which is understandable. Cause I think it was some, they were making comments. They, they said it in the commentary a couple of times. I think it was like maybe day 13 or 14, like exactly right around that two week mark with Steve Borthwick. So that is still pretty impressive uh, to me, but you know, I was disappointed in that um, disappointed in, in, in the Welsh performance, although Ireland are number, number one in the world. So I knew, I figured that they would lose, even though people talked about, Oh, it's the first time Ireland have won in a decade in Cardiff. I'm like, did everyone watch the, the autumn you know, the fall exactly. series, like they, they see that Georgia, when was the last time Georgia won in Cardiff? Uh, probably never. So you're really, you're really surprised that the number one team in the world came in here and won like, yeah. Um, and then the other heart was, what was I surprised by? Oh, uh, no, I was just asking me your overall impressions, just as a general thing. Yeah. I mean, I think it went about the way I, I thought it would go. I didn't, I didn't realize that France were going to get themselves into such a scare, uh, mm. That was that was pretty surprising, um, especially the way they started the match. I was like, man, well, I, I almost turned it off. I was like, here we go again, yeah. Italy. You After know. ten minutes, it looked like it was gonna be forty-two zip or something. Yeah, but what a what a cracker of a game! So that was a surprise for me. It was uh, Italy's strong performance, or maybe France's weak performance? Uh, but every, everything else went about as I expected it to go. Uh, only I expected England to edge Scotland in a close game, as opposed to the other way around. So as you already mentioned, that first weekend, of course, kicked off with the Irish smacking around the Welsh pretty badly. Yeah. Are you in the Ireland is really good camp or the Wales are really bad camp? Or do you think it's a combination? Oh, I definitely think it's a combination. Um, I mean, but undoubtedly Ireland are that good. And as we'll get into with round two later, they have since, I mean, they've continued to back it up. I think that a lot of people, I think there was doubts after the summer because they did drop that first test to New Zealand and they did drop that test, uh, well, not test, but to the Maori, they also lost that match. So people were like, hey, yeah, it was great that they won the test series two to one, but I think that they were kind of like that padded their resume a little bit and France were mm. still Grand Slam champions. So I think a lot of people still held France in high regard. Uh, but that being said, I mean, everybody knew that Wales was pretty trash and they're running out a bunch of old fogies out there. So, I mean... I don't know. <laughs> I think it's a combination of both. So who were some of your key players from this Ireland versus Wales match of our first one for the tournament? Uh, Hugo Keenan, the, the Irish fullback, he won player of the match. Do you think that was a good call? Yeah, he played well, but James Lowe is also playing well out on the wing for them. He's he's mm. definitely upped his game. His kicking has been really tactical and he finds the space well. Um, I think Josh Vanderfleer is unbelievable around yep. the breakdown. So, and him and Kalen Doris are also really good. Um, it, it, you know, I like Connor Murray, but you know, they're really missing Gibson park right now. Uh, so 
there's yeah. that. Um, and really nobody stood out for me for Wales. Again, it's, it's too much, it's yeah. too many old <laughs> legs out there. Uh, you know, I would love to say my guy, uh, I've gotten into the premiership this year. I have not in uh, previous oh, seasons. And okay. so I've been following a lot of Gloucester. So Louis Rees Zamet, uh, Gloucester guy, uh, he's currently injured, but, uh, but I like, you know, I think, I think his first name is uh, Rico, Rico Dyer. Uh, Rio uh, Dyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rio Dyer. Yeah. On, on the wing. Yeah. He's a, he's him. a good, yeah. He's, he's a good young terrible. player. Yeah. And that, that pedigree of, of famous Welsh wings. Right. So hopefully those two can get connected back there. I don't think, uh, I don't know what uh, Louis Rezamit's uh, injury status is for the rest of the tournament. I don't know what his timetable is either. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. It'd be interesting to see, but yeah, they're not, not a lot of bright spots over there in Wales. So it's funny. You mentioned James Lowe. I, I hear so many people say that, if there was a most punchable face contest, he would win it every single year. Yeah. Hard to, yeah. Hard to argue with that. I'm not an Ireland fan, by the way. So not a fanboy. Uh hoping that they're on the verge of a grand slam and they choke and lose to England and Dublin this year. So that's, that's my hope right now. That's what I'm holding out for. So next up was my game of the tournament thus far. It was Scotland going to Twickenham and beating the English. Yeah. I was about to say, you know, how good was this one? But it sounds like this was a disappointment for you. Um, it sounds like you already made this too. I, I was going to say, did you have a pick before the game started? It sounds like you were expecting the English to run away with Yeah, I will not really run away, but I was expecting them to win at home. Scotland mm. has been much improved and they were the winners of the last two in a row. So I don't think you could write them off. And I don't think that their autumn nation series went too, too well. Um, but mm. they were really, they were still really sh- very much stronger performances than the Scots usually put out. Let's just put it that way. So I knew that they'd be, they'd be ready. And then with a coaching change, I was kind of questionable of England, but I believed I, I drank the Kool-Aid. I believe the hype is a little too so, early. I, I think you already know I root for Scotland. So I made sure to stay away from anything that looks or feels like hope going into this one. I, <laughs> I picked England to win by 10, but was yeah. very glad to be wrong about that one. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like I said, I feel like that's a coin flip game, you know, unfortunately the six nations, they don't play a home and away leg. It's just that one leg every year. And so we'll get them next year, I guess. So that means that Wales and England were the losers of the first two fixtures. Obviously the two teams that, as you already mentioned, recently fired their coaches to go in a different direction. Do you think those coaching changes impacted these results or is it too, too soon for those impacts to really be felt? I don't. So for Wales, I don't think it's going to impact how they go. Unfortunately, people are like, you know, uh, Gatlin was the Welsh most successful coach in their, in their history. And so I think that there was a lot of like hoopla, like, oh, our saviors here. I don't think he'll be able to have the impact in the Six Nations, unfortunately, for them. Too little time, it, too old. You know, it's just not going to really work out. Uh, he's mm. going to probably need at least this year and maybe even the next uh, to get them going. I think they're that they're that far away. Um, and then on the reverse side, I just don't think that it was enough time for Borthwick to come in and implement. Because um, as we'll talk about, I'm sure in a little bit, his his style of Matt, of the way he wants to play is different from Eddie Jones. And so that's mm. going to take time for England to adjust. And as we'll talk about, they did adjust. And so I'm looking, I have high hopes they for did. them, but I just don't think they're there yet. So I think that it affected them for England. I don't think it affected that real outcome for Wales too much. So who was your player of the match in this one? And tell me why it was definitely Duhan Vandermeer. Yeah. I mean, an all timer, an all timer. I mean, they're I would say a couple of all timers. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, but oh that 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 try right up the middle of the pitch was just unbelievable. Jeez. Like I, even as an England fan, like, here's the thing: like you know, obviously I'm I don't have as much passion as an actual Englishman, right, uh, or mm. Scotsman, uh, more of like that neutral. I've, I'm a fan of England. That's the, that's the flag I picked to follow and I'm sticking with it. So I wasn't like heartbroken to see it. I wasn't Mm. throwing anything at the TV, you know, let's just say I wasn't like an Eagles fan. Let's put it that way. You know, (laughs) I did I'm dancing on their graves too. Cause I'm a New York football giants fan. So I'm dancing on the Eagles graves whenever I can, but anyways, uh, no, I, I just thought it was a, a stunner of a try and who else could pull off something like that. But him, I mean, he switches hands, fans, you know, I was going to ask if you saw that, like, I didn't notice that at the time. And then the, by the next day, everyone was like, did you see that? With the, well, it I caught it on the replay. Too, like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I caught it on the replay. I saw it, but I was just like, it was just filthy. I mean, he beat a guy for, for speed, for power and, and for moves. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's the three ways. I mean, the only thing he could have done was more was pass it to someone else then pass it back. And then he kicks it and then, <laughs> it. but that would have been just been way too much. I think, you know? It's funny too because the person he he switched hands in order to fend off was Alex Donbrandt, who I think is awesome. I I love watching him, and he's been yeah. getting a lot of flack for that, uh, like that he didn't didn't manage to make that tackle on Duhan. I'm like, uh, I don't think anyone's making that tackle in that moment right there. Mm-hmm. Well, not to mention he's the size. Of, he's not your normal winger. He's the size of a back rower, so it's like he's almost the size of a prop. He's like a little yeah Jonah Lamu out there. I've heard you when know? you meet him in person, even if you think you know how big he is, you'll go, oh geez. It's kind of like to throw into our free jacks. It's kind of like the Vion Conradi effect. Like, yeah, yeah. You see the pictures and you know he's a big dude, but it's like, no, man, when he came up to the fence shaking hands, I'm like, holy crap, dude. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's like he's wearing armor when he's like underneath yeah. his jersey. And it's, like, it's like, okay, you can take off your shoulder pads now. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Sunday, of course, brought us to the Stadio Olimpico in Rome, where Italy ended up as you already mentioned, you know, putting up a pretty good fight against a highly touted France. Were you surprised by the French performance in this one? Do you think they just thought it was going to be too easy and didn't bother to show up? Yeah, I think they showed up, put in those first couple of tries. I think it was like within 20 minutes, they were already up two tries. The majority of the match had played in Italy's half. um, And Italy was just abysmal, like abysmal. So I think that France maybe just went to sleep and kind of gave up. Um, mm. I, the only way I can describe it in, in, is I can only draw upon my own experience as a player for this is like, you just get comfortable as a player, you know what I mean? You're just feeling yourself out there. And then even when things start to go slightly sideways, you're like, ah, it's all right. We just turn it back on and we got them. And I think that they just lulled to sleep a little bit and yeah. Italy back, you know, Italy kept the points ticking over and then really started fighting hard and almost stole it from them. So that was crazy. I really wanted to see Italy do it even better but yeah i don't know it was a it was a really surprising one for me it was a, it was like confusing to watch in a way i think because of what you yeah. just said that they they kind of just went to sleep and it was like uh, tale of two halves i guess they say yeah but not confusing for people who've been watching france for a while because this has kind of been like historically this has been like the mode of the french right it's like back in the 90s it was like holy crap they brilliantly beat the all blacks in unbelievable fashion and then when drop like a stinker to scotland or something you know what i mean it's yep. like what the heck but it's the same team and they're like, how can yeah. you beat the All Blacks and then lose to like Italy? Like, how does that make sense? I think you know? that that part of the French identity is gone now. But just for the record, I th- I think that, like you said, the historic France 
I don't think they're that team anymore. I think the Fabian Galtier area uh, era is going to show us something different. No, I definitely agree, but it was giving you shades of it. Like people who are, yeah. you know I mean, I was like, Oh man, really? We're going to yeah. do this again. I thought this, this was, was dead. 2017? Guys, yeah. I was like, you guys killed this a long time ago. I thought, but yeah, got just a little scary. It's all right. So was it a letdown for you having the Italy game on Sunday all by itself? I, I've complained a lot about it, but I guess it's a tradition or something. Uh, no, because three rugby matches is a lot to watch in one day for me. Uh, it takes mm. out the whole day. Uh, whereas like, you know, the nine o'clock and then 11 o'clock match or whatever it is in the East Coast is is pretty good. I'm done by the afternoon and I can get on with it. Mm. Uh, I don't mind it uh, on the Sunday, but I will say that's the one I have the most propensity to skip. If I'm not yeah. going to watch a match, it's like, yeah, whatever. Seems I'll catch like it asking after. for that in a way, especially when it's, it's going to be Italy. It's like, eh. yeah, right. Especially against France, right. The world number two, but at the time of that playing of that match, many considered them the world number one. So it's kind of like, yeah, this is just another beat down. So round two, I think is probably a lot fresher in both our minds. Mm. You know, how did you enjoy this past weekend? I thought it was pretty fun. Yeah, it was a it was a thrilling uh, weekend of rugby. Like I definitely had fun watching all the matches. They were all interesting, at least through halftime. Well, no, not so much the England match, but they they were all interesting. You know, I was happy there. I was interested in England. If you were casual with that one through halftime, it was like, meh, you know, but if you were me, I was very excited. And then everything else was good, too. So speaking of them, I'd actually like to go in reverse order for round two. All right. Um, I thought the England versus Italy game was kind of a snooze fest. Um, it, it sounds like since you're rooting for them, you would for a Scotland good, guy. Good <laughs> <laughs> it just, I don't know. Uh, what do you think? It. So were, were you excited? Was it fun? Yeah, I mean, I get it. As a Scotland fan, you're hanging, you're hearing swing low, ro- ring out through Twickenham. You know what I mean? The tries are raining down. It's nineteen nothing. Italy's, ne- you know, Italy comes off that strong performance against France. They've never beaten England, so everyone's yeah. kind of like, "Ooh, England are a little bit wounded." It's the second match in the Borthwick era. Are we going to see Italy's first win? And then right. it's nineteen nothing at halftime. They have no answer for the driving mall or playing absolutely no rugby in England's territory, and they're getting choked to death. So I thought it was awesome they kind of pooped themselves. They were going backwards most of the time. Yeah. Uh, in the second half, Italy actually did outscore England, but did you ever yeah. feel like it was even close? No, no. Uh, I, I felt like the England, England side was getting pretty tired. And I think that a lot of that was due to, so they finally seemed to have switched tactics from the Eddie Jones dual 10 kind of stuff with Marcus Smith and Owen Farrell. That's my to, very next question. Nice. Yeah. So, so I'm anticipating. Well, I am an England fan, you know, so, <laughs> you know, uh, what's, I don't know his first name, uh, Lawrence is it Ollie, Ollie Lawrence. Uh, uh, there was at least three Ollie's out there for, for yeah, yeah, right. Think so it's funny. It, I've never inside, met an Ollie and they have three of them. <laughs> yeah. So it's the, the inside center. I'm pretty sure his, uh, his last name is Lawrence. So yeah. So, so him going back to a pure 10, right. And having Farrell out there. Uh, but I, my, my criticism was, you know, Farrell put in a couple of aimless kicks that really let Italy off the hook. I mean, they were inside mm. at least 22, gave it right back to him. You know, some of them were kind of pressured pressurizing and and i get the understanding where it's like if italy makes a you know if they made just one mistake england would capitalize but realistically england were smashing them through the forwards they were drawing penalties the driving mall couldn't be stopped so why are you putting the ball to boot right there and not to mention i personally think that that's not Farrell's game that's more marcus smith tactic interesting I don't know why he was he was trying to trying to pull that and i feel like that depressurized italy quite a bit 
enabling them to kind of fight back. But I didn't think the game was in doubt. Well, we saw Marcus Smith at 10 in round one, but he was replaced obviously by Owen clothesline Farrell for this one. (laughs) Um, Do you have a favorite of those two fly halves? So I prefer watching Marcus Smith, but I just have a feeling that England are more comfortable with Owen Farrell at 10. What's your take? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I think Marcus Smith is a little bit more electric and fun, but but again, the problem with him though is he plays that he plays that he he does very well in the kicking game, right? Tactical kicking, and I think Quinns do a lot of that, but I don't watch them too too much. Um, mm. But I think just Farrell is the more steady hand there, and I think that we've seen that they've they've switched their style back. Uh, England have to coming into a bruising inside center to get over the game line, focusing on the set piece type of, type mm-hmm. of stuff and set piece dominance, and so it's kind of back to that that style of English rugby with mixing in some other small things that they're doing like they're kind of when that sort of pods of three right they're kind of just going quickly through the hands and that's opening some stuff for them too so I, but i think you're going to see that more measured approach uh from england through borthwick instead of like the more experimental style that that jones was throwing out there with the dual threats of you know basically having two playmakers on the field at the same time so any particular standout performances for you in this one? Anything in general you came away with just like thinking, ooh, that was pretty awesome. Yeah, I think Jamie George was pretty good at the uh, at the line out. Nice. He was hitting the throws. They looked crisp. Um, Don Brandt was good. Uh, I forget his name. There was a debutante, the other uh, replace hooker. That was cool to see. Always cool to see someone get their first cap. I forget his mm-hmm. name, young, young man uh, coming in for Jamie George. Um, I mean, I don't think that there was any super big standouts for England. Uh, Just happy to see it It was a good team win. So as you've probably guessed, I I just don't like watching England play. It's gotten to the point where I'm just not even positive if they're good or not. Like I know they have really (laughs) good players, but when you put them together, does it work? Is it like, you know, when you put together a super group band in your head, but if that band actually got together, they would not be good. Like, do you think there's a selection? Very good description. That's no, a very right? good description. The, the the super band that just doesn't work. That's yeah, very, it, that is very spot on, David. <laughs> I feel the you, same way. <laughs> do you think there's selection uh, issues then? Do you think that there's like a recipe with different players that might make them out and out great? Well, I think that that comes down to back. It comes back to the style that you want to play. Right. And mm, so okay. if you're, if you're Eddie Jones and you want those two playmakers, then where else are you going to put Owen Farrell other than inside center? Cause Marcus Smith is not playing anywhere else other than 10. No. Right. So <laughs> that locks down those two short shirts, but that guy Lawrence played out of his mind. You know what I mean? Mm. Actually. If, okay. If I'm going to have to do a standout performer, it would be him. He was nice. smashing over the game line and doing really good stuff for them in the midfield. And so, you know, yeah. Cause I don't, I'm not sure I'd have to go back and look. He was probably, I don't know that he was selected in round one. Even I don't think team. so. Yeah. So, you know, you're not I think selected because through. of the thing, because of Marcus at 10 and Owen at 12, I think that just immediately put him out. Yeah. And then I don't, I don't follow them much beyond the the national side. I think that they, the team just probably lacks an identity and a direction, but unfortunately mm. for them, they're going to, they're going through the six nations trial by fire to get that going. And then they're going to have some world cup preparations. I would expect very much better performances for them because England always gets up for the world cup and they always seem to do well, except for one. I think they did terrible. Yeah. Except for when it's at home 2011. That was, yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, 
that one time. But other than that, they've done pretty well. So I think you'll see a stronger, I think the super band will go into some and have some serious rehearsal sessions. They'll stop boozing and doing yeah. drugs <laughs> and acting and acting foolish. That weekend. Yeah. Not that the English players were not saying that they do drugs. We're just comparing no, them no, to Superman. No. Yeah. <laughs> some of them probably don't. No, yeah, right. <laughs> um, so we've kind of already touched on this. So Steve Borthwick has now had obviously two games in charge. He's one and yeah. one. It sounds like you're pretty confident that he's going to, you know, that maybe we'll see progress every round the next three. Yeah, I hope so. That's another reason why I was really disappointed with the loss to Scotland, because I still think the French are going to be very tough. Uh, mm. And then obviously the Irish still loom. So it's like, you know, we got the backyard brawl coming up against Wales. So we'll beat the, we'll beat the breaks off of them, but it's like, so that's, you know, that's two wins to the good with one loss. So we'll be two and one, but then we got to play France and Ireland. So we could easily be two and three by the end of this, you know? So. So next up, was the biggest margin of victory over the entire weekend with Scotland back at Murrayfield to face a reeling Wales team. Wales managed three points less than in, they did in round one, while Scotland seemed to gather momentum as the game wore on. I mean, they looked twice as good at minute 70 as they did at, at minute 10. Mm. So similar question to last round. Um, Scotland good, Wales bad, combination of both? You know, I'm surprised that the Welsh held out as long as they did, mm. uh, to be to be quite honest. Uh Scotland, I think, are very good. Uh, this one was tight at halftime, 13-7. Um, but I just don't think it was an emotional day at Murrayfield. Uh, the first game back there since Dottie Weir's passing, they had the whole jersey layout uh, yeah. for him there. And then it, uh, I think they started it in 2018, the Dottie Weir Cup between the two yep. sides because they didn't have a, a cup between them. And so I just... You know, we're, we're Scotland really going to have, and they've traditionally had that let down after beating England, they go lose to Wales, you know, in a habit. Yeah. So it's like, I don't think that I, that, that's how I felt before the round. I was like, they're really going to drop this one. I don't think so. I don't think they're going to do it. And so at halftime, I was a little worried it was going to happen. And then they just kind of turned it on. And so, well, Scotland I mean, hadn't won like the I, first two games in a six nations literally ever the last time they won yeah, the first right. in a row was 97 which was before, when it was still five, five nations, nations. <laughs> yeah that was crazy to me yeah you know it's good to just on a quick side note it's good to see the parody kind of coming back into world mm, rugby where totally multiple agree. teams can can be can be good you know it's it's really sad when you turn on the tv and you're like well it's scotland versus the all blacks again there's no chance i i mean it's still a pretty bad go for the scots but they did much better back in the fall than they, they usually do so it's like it, you know, the gap is, is closing and that's good to see because I don't think it's ever good to see when you just turn on the TV and you're like, well, we know that one team is going to lose badly. The question yeah. is by how many. <laughs> that's what it, those it, it, in previous years, the Italy games always been like that. You just know going in, it's going to, it's not just going to be a loss. It's going to be some kind of blowout. If they get a couple of tries, it's like, oh, good job. They're show the last few years. I think they've really found something. I think it's for real. So this, you know, this weekend, I'm ready to forgive them that one. They, they stunk it up out there. But with the way they're trending, I think you're allowed to F up for a game and still have some hope. So I, oh, I yeah, expect, every, yeah, I expect the parody to continue. And every team has their day, right? It's just yeah. like, like you mentioned, though, it's, it's really sad, too, because it's like a lot of people joke that the only reason Italy was brought into the six nation or the five nations to make it six was so Scotland could get a win. You know, it's, <laughs> it's like. 
It used to be the wooden spoon match every year. Like Scotland would win one, it would go one and four. And they, oh, who would they beat? It's like, well, they beat Italy. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to our field. Here's our paper tiger. Yeah. Oh my God. All right. We're not here to bash the past, but you know, it was a good performance by Scotland. It was very good. Comprehensive. So, uh, what were some standouts for you in this game? Like you said, emotional day, um, obviously, and we already said they've built a lot of momentum in that second half. They seem to get better and better. Finn was back to his usual magical self. He pu- pulled some of those eye-popping moves he can do, um, which was good as a bounce back because I don't think he was particularly good in round one. Yeah. Um, what were some standouts for you in this game? Could be players, could be individual plays. What's something that caught your eye? Huey Lotu, that center pairing. They're doing really good out there, man. And then maybe that's part of the reason why Duhan Vandermeer was getting uh, getting it as good as he's getting it, right? Because good you point. can't really put the extra markers on him if you got those two threatening on the inside. Eventually, so you have to make a choice, right? Tupalatu, so, the skill for a guy that size, he can smash you over or he can go, boop, put a little grubber in right between your legs. Like, he's got it all. I got to look him up, though. Definitely not a native Scotsman with that name. <laughs> I mean... The uh, residency laws are what they are, and so actually, it's, it's his grandmother who's who's Scottish, and uh, oh. there's a, a he had a pretty emotional interview. I think it was after no, no, it was before that match actually, because people are often you know mentioning that kind of thing, and uh, he talked about how she was really his inspiration in his life and stuff like that. And so to me, these it doesn't matter where you started, uh, you know, if if the Scots say you're Scottish, you're Scottish. No, yeah, it's fair. It's fair. I mean, other nations have done it for a very long time. Uh, yeah. New Zealand. <laughs> you already mentioned James Lowe. He's he's not Irish, so. <laughs> Bundyaki, also not Irish. Bundyaki, yeah. Not too many uh, Owakis out there. That's no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They should change it. That'd be hilarious. Just put it on there. Yeah. <laughs> that'd, that'd be, be awesome. It'd be yeah. like, oh, no. Yeah. I've been here since I was a wee one. Yeah, that'd be great. Oh, that'd be classic. Um. Do Scotland actually look like legit contenders for you? I have them losing to both France and Ireland in the following rounds. Mm. Can you make a case for them doing better than that? Man, wouldn't it be about one? Wouldn't it be about one? I would say they have France next, right? Uh, yes. I believe so. Yep. Yep. But they're at the Stade de France. Um, they travel to Paris. That's exactly right. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know, man. I think they can be rocking. I know. See, the problem with the problem with it is France are wounded, right? And they're coming off the 14 match. They they were coming off a not impressive round one. And then to be honest with you, yeah, they put up 19 points to Ireland, but the performance, they scored one try, which they they're like, Oh, it was a wonder try. It's like, yeah, but if you watch the 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 two preceding minutes to that, they had no rights to score that try. It was a garbage mm. trash try that the Irish let in. And it was the only try they let in, by the way. So it's like mm. that says something. You know, I know they gave up a lot of penalties, but that's besides, you know, they're still not giving up the tries. I think that Scotland are true contenders. If they win next week, I would if if I was an Irish fan, I'd be worried. Because I think that they point. can pull it off. I'm trying not to think that far ahead. I mean, like I, I said, know. you got to get, as you, a, get... Man, you have to stay as far away from hope as possible. That's what I was going to say. Help. Yeah. I'm putting, I'm putting, I'm shining hope, my hope flashlight into your basement there. And hey, you're hey. like, you're like putting the towel over the camera. <laughs> I need like a mosquito net or something. Yeah. I think they can do it though. I think, I think they can do it. Even if they lose to France, I still think they can play upset to Ireland. I do. I think that Ireland's banged up and Scotland are good. 
and can compete physically. Injuries with them. do keep mounting. It's true. Johnny yeah. Sexton hasn't had his, you know, annual one yet, but yeah, right. Well, he is one. like 38 or something. So God yeah, bless him. So the match that started off the round, of course, on Saturday was the clash of the world's top two teams. It was a mm. cracker. Did you have a pick going into this one? Did you feel strongly that Ireland was going to win? Or did you think that France were going to take it? Uh, based off the previous week, I gave the edge to Ireland, um, mm. you know, but it was hard to call because typically Italy are punching bags and they looked like punching bags for the first 20 minutes of round one, but then they had that incredible fight in them. And so, and they always, they, a team with nothing to lose really because nobody thinks that Italy aren't contenders in a year. So it's like, they literally coming in. It's like, if they lose, well, that was the expectation, I think. So yeah. when you, when you're playing that type of team, it's dangerous. Right. So I thought France were kind of coming in the worst for the wear into the match. And, you know, I mean, home, home field always plays an advantage. So I think I might've tipped my hat to the French if they were in, if they're in Paris, but because yeah. they were in Dublin, I edged to them. I just had a feeling that France, because they looked not great against Italy, I thought they were going to be like, wait a minute, we can't do that again. And I thought they were just going to come in, you know, completely overwhelmingly, and it just never happened. The Irish defense was unbelievable. Uh, they yeah. gave away the, those early penalties, but I'm telling you, I just I don't know what it is because it was there was a there was a point in the match where it was 13-12, right? I think that you know Ireland had scored their second try and missed the conversion, and then France with the multiple penalties in the one try, and it's like. I, I, I still wasn't worried. Yeah, just the eye test. That's the only way mm. I can describe it. I just, but just by watching every minute, every second of the match, I was just like, the eye test tells me France aren't going to hold out much longer. And, and mm. they didn't, you know. I mean, in round one, they actually coughed up 18 penalties. Uh, in this one, they, they got that down to seven. It's a yeah. huge improvement and they still lost. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Ireland gave up their most penalties. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. not, it was only like nine. I think they, they still kept it under 10, but you know. Yeah, but a lot in, in bad places in the field, right? Because it's like France only scored, well, four four penalties. I mean, but they gave away 12 points essentially. You know. So I have this theory that this loss was actually just what the doctor ordered for France. Um, I th I think that balloon had to pop before they, they get on the run up toward their home World Cup. I think if they had just kept winning and winning and winning, that pressure would have been way too much starting at home. Um, mm. Am I crazy? No, I think you're dead on right there. Um, I think that, I mean, it's the same pressure like the in NFL, right? With undefeated teams or when a team's yeah. like 12 or 13 and 0, that's when the rumblings start and it starts to get in your own head. I mean, I've never been a professional player like that, but uh, you know, my only personal experience is like with something like that is I played high school football and my high school football team was undefeated for two years. And then when we finally wow. lost, yeah, well, but when we finally lost, everyone was really pissed, you know, and then, but it felt, it felt better. It was a little more freeing going forward. So I can only assume that at the professional level where real media and real fans are out there talking about you, that it just gets the intensity gets multiplied. And in today's social media world, how are you ignoring that? You know? Right. So right. I, I agree. I think that it was really good for him. And in a way, because of that same exact theory, the flip side of that coin is I don't think this was a great win for Ireland. I, I feel like, like France were coming in winning, winning 14 in a row. And I think this made 13 in a row for Ireland. I, I think they also need the bubble to pop at some point. Um, I do think Irish fans are keeping it a lot more, you know, on the QT, like, no, 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 you know, we'll see. We'll see. I think they're a lot more worried. I think there's something to be said for that for sure. Um, but at the same time, 
I think Ireland peaked too early anyway. I said that mm. when they won the test series in the summer, you know, and it only got worse when they went undefeated through the autumn. And now if they become the grand slam champions of the six nations, like that's going to be really bad. I think it's going to be really bad for them going into the world cup because then when they, when they go out in that quarterfinal, as they tend to do, you know, I think Dublin might melt down. That, that history of never making it out of the quarterfinals, their sort of natural pessimism. I heard a great quote once, uh, it says it all about the Irish that all their songs about war are happy and all their songs about love are sad. <laughs> Man. Yeah. I don't know. Although I will say though, what, what has been amazing for the Irish is all the injuries that they've sustained, you know, no Gibson park. Uh, one other guy, um, who was the other guy, their front rower there. I don't oh, know. I'm not a huge Irish, Irish fan, but they've I'm got totally a couple. Blanking. Yeah. They've got a couple of, of key injuries and that they're still, you know, ticking over and still finding ways to win. Um, and I've watched a lot of breakdown stuff on them and just the little things they're doing. Like I was just watching the uh, squid rugby on, on their match. Yeah, yeah. And it was just like, just those little things that they're doing at the breakdown, like what they did to Wales, like holding players in and like doing all this cheeky shit. Yeah. They're, they're just good, man. And they're good. They're good all around the park. They really are. And so Who's it? I was listening to somebody today basically saying, that is the, what makes a good rugby team being able to get away with those little 1% things, those little, mm. I know I can't do this, but I'm going to try. And it gets under the radar. Like getting away with things is the mark of a champion team. Do you think there's any truth to that? Yeah. I mean, it's called innovating, right? Our free jacks, <laughs> our free jacks did it with importing players from NPC and finding it and making it work. And now all of a sudden the entire league is doing it. Right. So it's kind of like, <laughs> you know, those who innovate, the rest are going to copy because it was, it was successful. But I think, you know, this is not so much an Irish innovation because it's been in the game for a long time, but the Irish are just the best at it. And that's their kicking game. They mm. tend to, they, they tend to win the kicking battle. And so when you're going to win the kicking battle, the other team's going to be under more pressure. You have more territory, you have more freedom. Uh, and, and they've been great with that freedom of execution and their attack. Yeah. So, you know, I, I just think that they have multiple strong points, which is also the hallmark of a great team. And also Johnny Sexton, I complain about him a lot on my show. Um, I, I just, there's something about him that rubs me the wrong way. He, <laughs> he, he mouths off to the ref constantly from the very beginning to the very end and somehow never gets pinged for it. On the other hand, I sure would want him on my team. He's got to be one of the top tens in the world, right? Yeah. I mean, for sure. And he's, which is wild because he's retiring, right? He's going to go through the world cup and then that's going to be it for him. Um, or, you know, I don't know if he'll be in full retirement, but at least I think he said he was retiring from Ireland. He said it, but, you, you know, professional. Yeah, right? yeah, you know, then they'll start knocking, be like, come on, one more Six Nations. Dude. The next year he'll be playing for Tampa Bay. Uh, you know what? Hey, though, if they, yeah, right. If they lift, if they lift that trophy, if they lift that trophy, that Webb Ellis Cup, uh, I think he'll, he'll, he'll hang up the boots. How can you not go out on top? Oh, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah. But they'll be out in the quarterfinal um, and he'll be in the Six Nations next year. <laughs> that does seem more likely to me. Uh, we were already talking about the penalties. Uh, Uini Antonio, uh, uh, his yeah. yellow card, he was standing straight up as he made that, you know, so-called tackle. The guy must weigh as much as the entire Irish back line. Um, they've since upgraded that to a red card and given him a, a three-week ban. W what did you think at the time? Were you screaming for a red? No, I thought, you know, this is the kind of stuff I agree with the laws, uh, the law implementations. I'm actually going with the, you know, 
again, a, a, me and uh, Diamond Dave and and fabulous Phil Harris there, we're going to go do the ref course on April 1st. Uh, I'm, I, I'll actually be recertifying. Uh, there was a hot minute there where I was going to try to take off as a young man. Once my playing days, I had retired that I was going to go try to do the ref thing. And then nice. I just, I just didn't have time. And I'm actually, I think I'm a quite a talented ref. So I'm going to try to go do that again and rekindle that fire uh, in my older age. But, you know, I agree. So back to the laws thing, I agree with the laws. I agree with the the spirit of the laws but man, it's a, it's a collision and it's a contact sport. And some of this stuff, when I see the hits, it's like, you're right. He was standing up, but I just remember what it was like to be a player and play. And just, you're just caught out of position and your options are, I'm not going to, you're either going to make the tackle or you're just going to let him run by you. And there's not Mm. a player. I don't think out there at, especially at test level, that's just going to let that happen. And so, mm. you, you know, you kind of, and there's some malicious stuff out there. And I think that they get that right almost all the time. Uh, I wasn't surprised to see yellow. I wasn't clamoring for red, but I actually did catch that too. I read that online that they had upgraded him and, and, and banned him. And that also didn't surprise me. I mean, cause it's pretty clear. He, he pretty much crumpled the dude's face. <laughs> Oh yes. It's pretty with his shoulder. So it's like, eh. and they left him on for a little bit too, until somebody was like, wait a second, that guy's having a hard time standing. Maybe we should have taken him off. Yeah. The speed of the game. Right. And there's a, there's 30 players out there in the field. It's hard to see one. Right. And they're pros. So they want to keep playing. So it is funny how much harder it is to really do a good job refereeing rugby union than any sport I can think of. Cause it's, it's your eyes. You get the help from the sidelines and stuff, but there's only a couple of those people. They're watching other things. The TMO is kind of discouraged from jumping in all the time, like 30 people doing these incredibly physical things. It's almost impossible to get it completely right. But I am happy that they go back and do the things that they did that you talked about with upgrading it. Hey, you know, we, yeah. we re-reviewed this and Hey, you got to come back because he came back, he returned to the match and, and played. It's like, you got to do that, but guess what? Now you're sitting because we, we looked at it closer and, you know, so I'm happy that they do things like that. I I'm happy that the, with the level of involvement of the assistant referees on test level, I wish they would mm. get more involved, like in the MLR level, you know, not to still mm. be, to be butthurt over the Eastern conference final, but the clear forward pass with the assistant, the referee standing right there and he didn't say anything and it's like i don't know that the that the referees in mlr are that empowered uh to to say something like shout out to um i don't know her name to be honest with you but she refs a lot of free jacks matches and she's pretty oh i know exactly who you mean she's usually on the sidelines uh, yes she's in it yeah 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 and but i've heard players when we were at union point uh play you know players from both sides kind of like chirping uh not being disrespectful well kind of they're being Johnny Sexton, like chirping at her, like, Hey, don't, you know, what are you doing? Like, eh, stop calling, you know, complaining about her, you know, sticking her flag out and saying, Hey, no, 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 I caught that. And I, I think we need more of that in the MLR. Yeah. You know, I'd like to see more uh, assistant referee involvement. Boy, I'm kind of embarrassed right now. We should both definitely know her name. <laughs> We've seen her. I want to say, I want to say it's Amelia. It was, they mentioned her name. I don't know. I don't know the woman. And, you know, I, I don't know. Dude, I'm not I'm, a creeper. After I don't we're done here, I'm, I'm looking that up. I don't want to get caught out on that one again. Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm going to go with Amelia final answer. I think that I think I'm right, but we'll see. <laughs> Only God can judge me. So out of these first two rounds, do you have an overall player of the tournament? You know, so far, not, this isn't a prediction for the whole thing, but out of these two rounds, who who's the player who's performed the best for you? It's your boy, Duhan van der Merwe. He's been crushing it out there and he's going to be hard to stop. If he can get going against France, they're in trouble. It's funny too, because in the URC, he's been 
he's almost regressed recently where he's doing a lot of running sideways and it's like, do on, no, no, up and down, <laughs> north and south, pal. <laughs> well, you know, but the different type of combinations, right? Because we were talking about the, you know, two Pelotu, and I think I think that other guy's name is like his first name is like Huey, so they call him Huey yeah. Pelotu, like right? yeah, and Hugh Jones, like, yeah, Hugh Jones, right? So it's like that that center combination seems to be really working well to set him loose and Finn Russell doing his Finn Russell thing. So at the Scotland level, it's really working. And I don't know, I don't follow URC. So it's like, I don't know how it's going for him at club, but if he doesn't have the same weapons around him, he's kind of like Tom Brady in Tampa Bay, you know, that's good. That's a great point. Yeah. And Tupelatu is over at playing for a different team. So he doesn't have, yeah, yeah, that's a great point. He's fitting in just well with the setup is my point. Not that he's like a system player. I think he's great all around, but maybe he's just trying to do too much at club level. I don't know. Oh, and speaking of, you know, players who aren't technically the nationality for whom they play, Duhan, you already mentioned another yes. one. Saffron, um, yeah. And he also had one of these interviews where he explained why Scotland means so much to him. And it was like, he had gone to a French club. I think it was Montpellier. And at one point they told him, uh, you've failed this physical and you're out of here. And they just, jettisoned him you just here you go and edinburgh were like you know what we'll give you a shot come here and and the way he talked about it he got pretty worked up about it too it's like when i had absolutely nothing they gave me everything that i now have this is my home and it, you know it was a great great interview it is a great point to make i haven't seen the interview i'm actually going to go look that uh look that one up but i will say this about like the the whole residency and and you know, kind of claiming like a new nation, either through your grandmother, which is like kind of wild, but you know what though? It's great because it's like you talked about, you get into one system and that system kind of spits you out. And for whatever reason you didn't make it, whether it's due to poor luck, bad timing, combination of factors or whatever. And then you go find success. Cause imagine if Duhan van der Merva had never made it out of South Africa because he got chewed up by their system and he was just right. playing somewhere down there. And how many other players are there out there in the world that we never heard of or never seen? It could have been that great if they had just been put into another system, you know, and given a I shot. Just had like a, I just had like a fever dream. Duhan never makes it out of South Africa, ends up on the Griquas. Scott Matthew ends up coaching him <laughs> and bringing him here. Oh, man. What alternate universe is that? Can I teleport there? <laughs> so... It is now prediction time. Mm. Uh, but before we do that specifically, you know, what are you most looking forward to for rounds three through five? It can be anything. I'm most looking forward to beating the piss out of Wales in the backyard brawl. <laughs> it's been a, it's been, you know, it's not as a, I've talked to some Englishmen. It's not as heated a rivalry as between Scotland uh, and, and England, but it's close and they, they enjoy beating the Welsh. And so I'm excited for that. Uh, so do, 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 I just lost my place there. Um, so Saturday, which will be not this coming Saturday, but the 25th of February, yeah. that's going to kick off with Italy starting our first game of the weekend. I'm a little surprised um, that they'll be at home for Ireland. Do they pose any threat at all to this juggernaut Ireland team? Um, do you think Ireland might you know, purposefully select a much weaker team and kind of get caught up? Uh, no to both. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that they pose uh, that serious a threat. I mean, listen, it's test level rugby and crazier things have happened. I mean, the only mm. team that Italy have not defeated in the six nations are, are my England. Thank goodness. So yeah, they've done a, you know, it wasn't this Italian team that beat this Irish team. So I like to, when you talk about historical records like that, that's important to note, right? It's just not mm. all the teams of old. It's, it's who's playing out there that weekend. Um, 
but I just don't see that Irish defense was suffocating and Ireland are clinical and they also are playing with purpose. Like, like I said, Farrell kind of had some aimless kicks. They were trying to do stuff that wasn't England. Mm. They were, they were, they were fighting their identity out there. The Irish are the only team that, that I've seen so far that don't fight their identity at all. They know exactly who they are. And I think they're going to go lay the smack down on them in Rome, to be honest. I couldn't agree more. I feel like, especially when Ireland's healthy, like just the depth, first of all, ridiculous but when they are healthy i don't think there's really an element of the game that you can point to and say they really need to work on that oh to your point though uh if are they gonna are they gonna start uh or are they gonna bring in like different players i uh i don't know his name but he backs up sexton i think they might is it burn yep i think it's ross burn yeah i think think they might start him yeah i I wouldn't be surprised all the you know all the Irish pundits I listen to say they've they've at long last finally found Johnny's successor because that's of course been the argument in Ireland since I think uh, eighteen hundred and twenty when Johnny Sexton first started playing. No 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 it was a little bit further down the road eighteen sixty when he took over for Ronan O'Gara. Oh that's right. <laughs> yeah, after Johnny got injured in the Civil War here in the states, he yeah. had to find something new, a new career path. Yeah. No, so I think that you might see something like that where they they start that guy uh, that guy burn at ten and maybe bring in Sexton later, maybe and maybe not at all because he's taken some knocks and they're trying to preserve Johnny for those bigger matches, right? So I also think part of their problem too is they're like, okay, Johnny, we're thinking we might rest you for this weekend, and he's like, no, you're not. No, I'm playing. Yeah. Like, and he he apparently has a lot of pull with the powers that be. They, you know, he's meant so much to the program that what Johnny right. says goes. Yeah, you know, anything can happen. I know my my buddy, uh, shout out Big Michael, huge Irish fan, Irish rugby mm. fan, and he would be pretty, yeah, he'd be pretty fired up if they didn't start him. Um, but, you know, I don't know. Like I said, they they have this belief about them and, and they're really bought in. I wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me either way. So, you know what I mean? But I don't think they'll leave him out of the match completely. I think he'd be in the 23 at very least. Like they're not going to just sit him completely. So next up, of course, you already mentioned this one. Wales will be hosting England in Cardiff. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, at least in theory. I don't know if you've heard that they might actually be on strike for that game. And that, that, yeah, that saw that just before logging on. Yeah. Is there any chance at all that Wales can bounce back or are they already, can we just see the fork sticking out of their back? So like Scotland is allergic, like Scottish fans are allergic to hope and trying to, trying to dis hope. Uh, English fans are very fearful of the letdown. Uh, mm. If there was one we were going to let it down, it was not Scotland because I think Scotland's a good team. I am sort of worried that somehow, some way, all those old fogey Welshmen like Alan Wynn Jones in his 1800th test match somehow find some magic. But yeah, I don't think so. I think England under Borthwick have found, have, have started, have begun the process of forging their new identity. I think that they've got some some kinks to iron out. Hopefully Steve Borthwick has spoken to Owen Farrell about his errant kicking inside the 22. Hopefully they get a little bit more clinical um, and just smash them up. I think England's just as big, just as powerful and they're younger. So I I got England big. I have a feeling that's exactly how it's going to go down. Um, Sunday to finish round three, Scotland will be traveling to Paris as we already mentioned to face kind of a wounded France or at least a licking their wounds kind of 
French team. Is this going to be the end of the Scottish hype train? Who do you have in that one? No, I don't think it's going to be the end of the Scottish hype train. This one's oh. so hard to pick. I think this is going to be the match of the weekend. I think you're going to see France in, in the in back-to-back cracking matches. I think the Scots are going to give them all they can handle. And if they're not careful, they, France simply just need to score more tries. If France score one try like they did against the Irish, it's not going to be enough and they'll lose. I think mm. if they get to, I think that they're going to need to put at least three on the Scots to win it. Cause yeah, damn Finn Russell's good. <laughs> He's so good, yeah. man. And yeah, but who do I got? I just got to go with the home side in that one. I don't see coming after 14, 14 losses. I thought their performance against Ireland was pretty pathetic. Like I said, mm. the, the, they scored 19 points, but at no point was their attack any type of threat at all. Like, I mean, can you imagine what the atmosphere is going to be like at the Stade de France in Paris that day? Like, the fans are going to be baying for blood. And those French crowds, anyway, it, it is like at the top of my bucket list to attend some sort of French rugby game at some point because it is a different level. There's five, you know, seven-piece bands in the stands. Some of them just take over staircases. They're booing you while you're setting up your kicks. It's just not like any other environment. Like, yeah. It's going to be sick. Yeah, so I'll just give them the edge just because they're the home team. But I think Scotland could definitely be the team to pull it off there for sure. So round four then. We're going to start off with Italy at home again for Wales. It's obviously this is Wales' best shot at a win. Are they just sort of too wounded by that point? Is Italy going to actually claw out a win in Rome? I sure hope so. Getting the wooden spoon over to those ugly inbred Welshmen would be great. Whoa. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so next up, England will be back at home for France. Ooh, that's going to be good. Yeah, huh? Who know. are you going to take in that one? I got to go England because I'm a fan, but I don't believe it. We'll see, though, because this is all going to be dependent on round three. It depends on what I see it's from true. the English. You know what I mean? Like if they're getting yeah, more yeah. Into, in tune with that, their style. And they see, for, for me, like you said, it's all how quickly that, that super band can stop drinking beers <laughs> and start playing their instruments. I think that if they can get it together quickly, they, they can be very dangerous, but. <sighs> and you make a great tip point too. Like, you know, once you're out more than a single round, like who knows about injuries, who knows about other X factors and stuff like that. It's we're basically well, at doing least with that. We're, well, at least with those sides though. Exactly. And we're basically doing way too early predictions of our own. Eh, to a point. I mean, with England, I, I yeah. In this specific case, it, it, it's hard to call it one more round because I just need to keep seeing more of England because they're mm. they're they're in that identity change. You know, like we are, we know that Wales is 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 they're not just wounded. Wales is dead. Like mm. you know, they're burning. They're they're a burning ship that they're literally a ship at the bottom of the ocean that's somehow still ablaze. Still alive. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're so bad right now. So it's really not <laughs> unfathomable to you know what I mean. But with England, it's like. Again, they were only six point losers to Scotland. It's it's not, and Scotland are a good side, but it's like, eh, we'll see. I, I have a, a sneaking suspicion that you're absolutely right about England getting a little bit better each round as well. I, I think it's going to be really incremental. So I don't know if it's going to be enough to make a difference, but I think, yeah. you know, the, the arrow is pointed definitely in the right direction for them. That That's a good, that's a good call by how much. And that's the real question, right? If they can accelerate that growth, they'll be good. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So Scotland then are back at home for Ireland. Ooh, mm. man. 
I really hope this is at least close. I hope this is as exciting as we're thinking it's going to be. Do Ireland keep it rolling for you all the way into uh, to Murrayfield? I'm gonna say I hope so, only because I want that I want that Grand Slam to still be on the on the on the cards at mm. the Aviva when when England go to go to beat their ass on St. Patrick's oh, Day. I hope that trajectory goes. I hope England are just edging, you know, finding themselves under because the storyline's just too great, man. England opening really round is. loss, but then continue to find themselves and build momentum through the tournament and go into Ireland under Borthwick, you know, having won all of their, you know, even beaten France and all that other stuff. And then they're just rolling. And it's like, well, will will Ireland win the grand slam and beat traditional foes or will England pull the upset? So I want that to be there. So for that reason, I think that Ireland plus again, for the, all the reasons I've, I've already went over, I think that this Irish team at least is a kind of like a team of destiny for this tournament. And then I think the bubble pops, you know, narrative wise, that is, I, even I have to admit that is the best case scenario. Cause that would set up our final round, super Saturday, all three matches right in a row um, that weekend. We'll start with Scotland versus Italy. Scotland again at home. Uh, who you got in this one real quick? I think Scotland takes this one. I think Italy, unfortunately, they're probably going to, unless they can pull out another win over Wales, they'll, you know, they're always, they're, they're improved and I like that, but they're still wooden spoon contenders. Yeah. Um, France at home for Wales is the middle game. Will Wales even exist as a nation by then? No. France by 90. <laughs> <laughs> Antoine Dupont scores a record seven tries in one match in the Six Nations. That's your hot take. <laughs> he, he fends off 192 defenders throughout the course of the match. His last, his last, his final, his seventh and final try, he carries uh, the 187 year old Alan Wynn Jones on his back 80 meters for the try. <laughs> he picks up, he picks up one dude and kills another dude with him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Finally, as we've been talking about, Ireland will be back in Dublin to take on their ancient foes, the English. And, you know, the narrative we've just been describing, the English, we see them getting better and better. They'll be just gunning for this one. Ireland potentially will be so nervous about getting this Grand Slam. Johnny Sexton will have had 72 concussions by then, plus no more ankles. Um, How does the Six Nations end for 2023? Owen Farrell, after the opening kickoff, immediately rushes Johnny Sexton and clotheslines him. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm not kidding. No, no, that's exactly yeah. No, uh, to be it's honest like 50, with you, if, 50. I, yeah, if I'm being real at that point, if the Irish are undefeated and really going for the Grand Slam like that, I really find it hard to believe that they'll drop one to England at home. You know, I love I do, my English. I think they're I way think ahead. We're yeah. saying England's going to get better and better, but I feel like Ireland are way ahead right now. It would have to be a lot oh, for sure. better. Yeah, and for all the reasons we already said, I just their kicking is too good. Their defense is is un is unreal. Their attack is creative. Their kicking is is really awesome. Uh, the only place I think the English could could really do some damage is in the set piece, um, but I don't think that Ireland will give them given the, the kicking game will keep that that type of thing under control. Yeah, Come scrum and, time, they'll get good. They'll get good scrums, but never in a dangerous position to make any of it. And Owen Farrell's dad, Andy Farrell, coaching yeah. Ireland, he he is really good. He has that yeah. team firing. He always seems to know Coach what buttons year. to push. Yeah, yeah. he's got to be right. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, so I think Ireland probably going to be going to be slamming. 
and that'll give them the triple crown as well. Don't forget about that ye old exactly. Five Nations trophy. So last one, when this is all said and done, who do you see being the overall player of the tournament? Ooh. Wow, that's a tough one. Um, I would love to say your, your boy Van der Merva, but the problem is there's inherent problems with the wing, and sometimes you just yep. don't see as sometimes much. Sometimes the ball doesn't come to him. Yep. You know, I could see it. I could see it being a uh, Johnny Sexton, especially with the <sighs> slam. I know I can, it's I ugly. I didn't, you weren't going to like it, but I was, that's why I was, I was kind of hesitant. Like, should I say it? Should I say it? I, could, I mean, especially you, you shouted out Josh line. Vanderfleer, he, already the world player of the year. Maybe he yeah. keeps that ball rolling. Yeah. I mean, he's having a, you know, that's another one of those positions, right? It's like flankers can, are, can do great things. And when you have great flankers, great things happen for your side, uh, but they're doing a lot of off the ball work you know what i'm saying so he's a he's a good player kaylin doris is good but i don't think he's good enough to win player of the of the tournament uh could be dupont because even though france you know and france aren't out of it right Let, let's be real oh definitely that's another thing to add to the whole storyline and the intrigue not only could the english upset the irish and spoil their six nations grand slam but if france run the table that could make things very interesting it's true you know ireland could win it off bonus points or something I want uh, Italy to get the wooden spoon, but Anish Capuazzo wins player of the tournament just because he's so great. <laughs> just so he's so much fun quick. to watch. He's, he's like 12 quick. years old. No, yeah, I think he, uh, yeah, I think he was, uh, he's Danny Almonte's cousin or something like that. Is that right? Yeah. You remember Danny Almonte, the 13 year old playing in the Little League, or he was like the 17 year old playing in the Little League World Series? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going the other way with him. He's either cousins. <laughs> if you get it. Yeah. Ah, yeah. I hope, I, I hope Italy does it. I hope Wales gets the wooden spoon, but I already, I already went over that. Man. Oh man. I love this competition. It always provides incredible drama and incredible rugby at the same time. Yeah. Um, what are your final thoughts on the 2023 six nations before we sign off? Yeah, just I'm excited for the rest of the tournament. Uh, you know, we were talking about this before we we started recording, like they call it rugby's best championship. And I think that that's the reason, right? Is because there's always some sort of intrigue. You know, France, England traditionally have always been good. Ireland and Wales have had their runs of dominance and greatness, but then kind of faded to the background and come in and out of it. Scotland never usually good but now they are a force so i think there's just a lot more storylines to be had and i just hope we get the good ones i hope interesting things happen so that's what i'm excited for oh before i actually let you go though yeah. again how excited are you for the free jacks and the new mlr season um, oh my god i'm fired as up. you mentioned it, it's it's as it's two days away not not for us to see them in person but it's yeah. starting two days um will i be seeing you at fort quincy anytime soon I probably will only make it to one match this year. Uh, oh, it, 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 I know it's tough, man. I got a, I got a 10 month old little girl and she's going to be about a year old by the time the home matches start. And it, it's just tough to get down there. Tough to leave my wife up here with the baby all alone uh, and go hang out. I don't know. Maybe I'll try to make a couple matches. I did not opt for the season <laughs> tickets this year. So I went, uh, I actually spoke with Jason Patras earlier and he was talking about his baby and everything. And I was like, Oh, don't worry. Just, Bring him to the game and let Woody take care of her. Yeah, nice. I don't know about that. <laughs> my my daughter's actually already been to a, a Free Jacks game. Her first game was the Eastern Conference Final. That's how I know it kind of was. It went okay. Oh man. Yeah, I know. I did the uh, I did the 
I did the lantern sweets for that one because I wanted overhead cover in case it started raining. Because remember how it was kind of cloudy? I don't think oh, there yeah. was rain in the forecast, but I did that. And I just remember being on like my, because there's no bathrooms over there. So it's just the porta potty. So I was like on my hands oh, yeah. and knees. Yeah, it, it happens, right? But I'm on my hands and knees in the back. I have her set up in the back, changing her because she pooped. Aww. And I'm like, oh man, I'm here. But it was a good time over there. Eric Anderson stopped by, said hello to us. So I was like, hey, oh, what's nice. going on? Yeah. So maybe I'm going to make it to one or two matches. Uh, I'm going to try to drag and, and make it a whole family family type of deal. But the family type of deal means I can't go and hang out in the, you know, because I never pay. I never spring for the VIP parking. I always walk there. But no, no. You know, but I've never, John, had, I've never had trouble parking, though, so. No, neither have I, but I just I just go hang out there in that lot with Spider, Kyle's dad, uh, John Hell's now. I get some free food. I bring them some yeah, beer yeah. and give me some beer and hang out there before the match. But when I bring the wife and daughter, that's not that's not the best of environments. <laughs> well, I brought my son just once. So he's six now. I guess he was four and a half, four, something like that. But um woogie scared the crap out of him and he he hasn't wanted to go back like oh man yeah that's a total bummer total bummer but yeah hopefully i'll catch you at a couple of matches i'm I'm hoping for two definitely going to at least one so chris my friend this has been too much fun thank you again for joining us here on the scrim of the earth i can't wait to talk again soon uh any final words before we actually finally sign off No, just, Hey, if you've listened to this whole episode, thanks for listening to me for this long. It's uh, probably <laughs> going to probably be a personal record for you. So thank you the for having me. You, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thank you again. Much appreciated. Cheers and catch you Later, soon. Buddy. Have a good one.